You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 5720 Ridge Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. That is Ellen Langer from Harvard University. And she did a study about 10 years ago. She's a psychologist. And she gathered a group of about 84 women who were hotel employees who clean and she asked them, how many of you get exercise on any kind of regular basis? And 67% of these women who work in the cleaning of hotels, you know, some people call them maids, um, said that they didn't exercise. And a full one-third of them reported that they did not get any exercise at all. I love this story. I love this story. I tell it as many times as I have the opportunity. So she divides, this is a social experiment, psychological experiment. She divides these 84 women in half, and she, but before she does that, she takes uh, body measurements of these people, uh, like percentage body fat, hip to waist ratio, blood pressure, all these kind of general health indicators. And um, that's, the, that's the, the opening data for her experiment. And she sends half of them home and says, thank you so much for the information and your opinion about your work and what you do, really glad to have you. And, but then half, the other half, she gets uh, researchers in there that carefully go through the tasks that they do every day as cleaning people in the hotel and tells them the kind of uh, benefits that this has to their bodies and like how many calories that it burns, you know? So how many, how many calories gets burned when you are you know, folding the sheets, or hauling the dirty laundry, or pushing the heavy cart, or making a bed? You know? I break a sweat every time I make a bed. You know? Every single time. It doesn't matter the temperature of the room. Fast forward 30 days later. Ellen Langer brings these people back in. All of them come back in, and they make body measurements again to see what happened. And the half of the 84 women who had received this precious information, their vital statistics that, that were taken were dramatically different just in one month, despite not changing their routine at all. They had a 10% across the board average drop in blood pressure. And all they received was this information about what they were doing. Now, some people come back and say, uh, maybe our mind and body are much more connected than we think. That's what Ellen Langer would, sh would say. She's way into mindfulness and stuff like that. I'm not necessarily recommending her to you. She just did this amazing experiment that, that blows my mind. I'm open to that. I think that maybe the cells in your body are that connected to what you think. But then the detractors would say, well, maybe they actually just changed their routine a little bit. Like, they did a couple more reps of, like, of bed making, you know? And they did it better and faster, and they, they, they felt good about what they were doing, and then that changed how they did it, and then that was what the, the, the source of it was. Uh, yeah, That's, that could have happened too. And it's still amazing what this information did for these women. It transformed them just in 30 days. How much does the story you tell about yourself affect every cell in your body? It certainly affects how you do what you do somehow. Otherwise, how can we account for this kind of dramatic improvement? This is how we work, y'all. This is human. This, is, this, is, this isn't just a, uh, hotel employees. This is you. Nothing changed, and yet everything changed.
who is responsible for this who did this to the women do it to their bodies do it to ellen langer do it did god do it what happened who made this all happen yes <laughs> yes i think that's kind of i think that this is a demonstration uh, or a parable for what resurrection life is like what does the resurrection do in your life and how does it do it and how do you account for that and what does it mean and is god responsible for the things you do or is it the holy spirit working in you and how can you tell the difference yes My main man, Peter, gives me some, some backup for this kind of experience. Oh, do I have a picture of Peter yet? No, I'm gonna get to Peter in a minute. Yeah, we'll get to Peter in a second. So, Peter is one of the, you know, the first people that gets the, the news about the resurrection. First were the women, of course. But Peter is a special person in the New Testament. His name is mentioned 200 times in the New Testament. Next apostle is John at 29 <laughs> okay so like not not that I, I would i would i would love to do they're, they're making a movie about mary magdalene have you seen this no. they're making like a feature-length film about mary magdalene i'm worried mary magdalene's awesome don't you ruin her but she's so mysterious you know you can make anything up about her you know and like turn her into who you want her to be but peter we got his name 200 times you know he's like one of the most documented people in the first century seriously like that <laughs> That, that that's 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 how like that's how important he is to um, history uh, and and how you know like ancient texts we don't have that much information about individuals you know unless they're like kings and stuff certainly not a poor no he might not have been poor but a fisherman from the Galilee region so as a result of this tons of detail we can get kind of in his head a little bit and 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 getting in his head helps me get in my head and hopefully then helps you get in your head that's the idea and your heart too. You know, what's it like to live this resurrection life as just a regular person? You know, what's it like to be transformed by something that you can't quite explain? So Peter goes down in history as a total screw-up, right? He's, he's the, you know, supposedly the first pope of Rome, but he's also, uh, most of the stories about him, he's kind of a, uh, a blowhard and impulsive and, uh, you know, you know, do you know stories about Peter? He probably gets the harshest rebuke of anyone in the New Testament when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, calls him Satan. That was probably, you know, that was probably Jesus's psychology, actually, because like the temptation that Peter was giving him in that moment was actually like looking pretty good. Like, oh, maybe I don't have to die because that's what Peter's trying to tell Jesus in the moment. And Jesus is like, whoa. So I don't think he was like, it was more like he might have been talking to Satan, you know, like <laughs> Peter is manifesting himself. But that's pretty harsh. You know, that, 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 that's that's kind of a problem. Also, Peter gets a lot of flack for like doubting when he walked on water. You know, oh, Peter, you sank. You gotta keep your eye on Jesus. Any of y'all walked on water? <laughs> Any of y'all walked on water? Okay, he did it for just a couple of steps, but he's done it more than you. You know, he, it was his idea. Yo, if you're not a ghost, Jesus, call me out on the water. That's the kind of guy that Peter is. Okay, he's a screw up, but he's that kind of guy. Um, but his biggest failure, and this is one I can't really redeem him for, except Jesus redeems him, so I guess I will eventually. But let's just take a moment to just really pause at the, the, the betrayal of Peter. This is what he's probably the most famous for. Like, of all the things he did, like, this is the, the one thing people know about him, is that he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus predicted that. And he said, no, I'm going to die with you. It was like a literal ride-or-die moment, and he said, die. 
and then like within 24 hours, you know, he was riding off somewhere else. But one of my favorite moments about Peter, which is another kind of befuddled Peter moment, is in Luke 22. And I, I you, do you remember when he cut off Malchus's ear? Malchus is the uh, the chief priest's uh, attendant, and they come to arrest him. And and this this is this is the exchange. These are, we should act this out with, with, with um, cool masks like this. It's a Peter mask with a detachable ear. Don't we need that in our life? Um, so he's like, so this is in Gethsemane. This is when the authorities come in to get Jesus. And it says, when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? No waiting for answers. <laughs> Cuts off the <laughs> And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. We know from other accounts that this was Peter. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. I just love that Peter doesn't even wait. You know? And earlier in Luke, it's this, you know, I think it's Luke 16. They're like, Jesus says, those who don't have a sword should like sell their stuff and buy a sword. And then Jesus says, they say, hey, we got two right here. You know, and Jesus is like, that's good, you know? But then, so, like, Jesus is trying to teach something. He's trying to say something uh, more. And Peter's like, yo, you said get sword. <laughs> I have a sword. That's that guy. I'm cutting off his ear. <laughs> Peter. I love, I love him, but he's not, he's not all the way there, right? And, and even, even after three years of apprenticeship, at his last moment to, like, do what the master says, he just does what he wants. That feel familiar to any of you? You know? How long has your apprenticeship with Jesus been? Some of you might not be followers of Jesus, but I know that some of you have been apprentices of Jesus for a long time, and yet you're definitely going to cut off Malchus's ear, too. Come on, be honest. You know, you're going to cut off Malchus's ear. And that's, I don't know if that's okay, but I'm going to say it's okay. You know, I'm going to say, okay, it's okay. It's like, it's like, okay, let's deal with that. What are we going to do? So I love this image of Peter by Nicholas Tournier, or however you say that, 16th century Baroque painter. Peter's given name is Simon, right? And Jesus changes his name to Peter, which means the rock. And this guy, this kind of bumbling person just like us who cuts off ears, he's going to be the rock on which Jesus builds the church. Seriously? Yes, seriously. In Matthew 16, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, sent to make all things right. And Jesus is so pleased with this, or just this is the moment for him. I don't know when he decided, he says, you didn't come to that on your own. This is, that wasn't just your idea that I'm the Messiah. That was given to you from heaven. So in the end of John, in John 21, this guy the one that is famous for betraying Jesus. They're back up in Galilee after Jesus has been appearing. And it's kind of confusing what Jesus is doing. All, there's lots of different stories about what Jesus is doing after the resurrection. And it's like, if you can put together a timeline for me that makes sense, I would love it. But you know, something new is happening that we don't perceive all of it. Uh, and so they see him in Jerusalem, and then they're up in Galilee. John's telling the story in John 21, and Jesus appears to them on the shore. They're out in their boats fishing, and he does this 
you know, classic Jesus thing where he tells them to throw their nets in again, even though they're already done. And there is like a miraculous catch of fish. That's like Jesus' hallmark. I bet he did that a bunch of times, you know, like, let's catch some fish. Because they tell the story a few times. And Peter like puts his, he's, he's, you know, he's almost naked or something in the, in the boat because that's how you fish. And uh, you're, you know, you're pulling nets, it's hot, you know, that kind of thing. Puts his cloak back on, jumps into the water and swims to shore because it's the Lord. There he is, because he, he really wants to be with Jesus. He really wants to have this reconcilia reconciliation moment that uh, many of you might be familiar with, where Jesus asks Peter, do you love me, three different times. And Peter's like, kind of, this is like excruciating for him. Because like, of course I love you, Jesus. But Jesus is like doing something with him, and it's, it, it, needs, to, it needs to get to Peter's heart that actually, yeah, um, this, this, you're still my guy. I set you up as the rock. You're going to be the rock. And you have to believe it. You have, we, we need to do this, because I'm going away. And you need to have enough sense that, yes, you screwed up, but it's not, it's not too much. You know, I, I, I can deal with this, and I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to use you for what my purposes were. I haven't changed my mind about you. That's what Peter said. I hope I hope that I hope that if, if you if you've had an experience like Peter's, that you can you can hear from Jesus saying, No, I haven't changed my mind about you. And he says to Peter, Feed my sheep. I have stuff for you to do. Take care of my sheep. This this is what you need to do. Feed my sheep. And that has me thinking then. I made this connection. This is this is the the, the crux of the of what I have to say tonight. That feed my sheep reminds me, well, how? How am I going to do that? I'm a screw-up. That's what I look like. Look at those concerned eyes. I, and I really did screw up, and I know it. And, every, and I made sure that everyone else knows it. You know, one of the reasons I think that Peter looks like such a dummy in the New Testament is because he was telling his story. Hey, y'all, I'm just a dummy. Jesus did something in my life. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like... It's not like someone made up this story about the best guy and that, like, this, this is our leader. <laughs> We're going to tell this story about our great leader. He's amazing. No, Peter's told that story himself and made sure that no one adulterated the truth and said, yo, no, this is who I am. And Jesus uses people like me. This is, this, this is what Jesus is doing. He's using me to transform the world. He's using us to transform the world. Let's get on it. So this feed my sheep line had me jumping back to another time that Jesus was feeding people when he fed the 5,000 in Matthew 14. Let me stop talking for a minute and just re-familiarize re ourselves with this story. Will someone read that out loud for us? This evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place that's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. 
All right, non-rhetorical question. Who fed 5,000 people and all of the women and children along, 5,000 men along with the you know, women and children that were there? So like 11,000, 12,000, 13,000 people. Who fed them? How would Jesus tell the story, do you think? I think that he's going to say, no, I told them to feed them, and they did. This is what this is what leaders do all the time. Did, have you noticed Julie doing this? She, she she asks you to do something and then totally helps you do it, but then gives you all the credit. Have you have you ever, have you ever seen her do that, where she like writes something for you or something like that and said, "Wow, this is amazing what this person did," you know? Chris, Chris, you hear it on your head back there? The, 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 close, the closer you are to Julie, the more she's going to do that for you. If you get into some leadership, she's going to help you lead. She's going to help you do it. Because that's what leaders do. You know, y'all, she, this is her full-time job. Of course she's going to help you. You have to like go to work and stuff and do jobs for other people. So she's going to help you do this job that you're doing you know, with your extra time. That's what, that's what leaders do. That's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus tells this story. You know, When you get to heaven... And you talk to Jesus about feeding the 5,000. He's be like, wasn't that awesome when Peter and the boys fed those people? That was amazing. So who's responsible for this feeding? And Jesus is saying right there, and this isn't me just projecting leadership like traits onto Jesus, although I think that's appropriate. I'm looking at the text. You give him something to eat. He never, he ne- he, and then he doesn't take credit. He's not like, you dummies can't make enough food. That's not what he does. You know, Peter might be calling himself a dummy, but he, but Jesus never calls him that. I know, that that feels good. That feels good to me. Like, yeah, I got to I got to participate in something. I fed these people. It was it was my hand that gave the bread to them. The little pieces of fish that were all ripped up, my hands were the greasy ones. I was I was part of that. And I think that's what it's like. That's what I'm trying to get at. This like, what? Who's responsible? Is it Jesus? Is it the people doing what Jesus says? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And that's what our life in Christ is like. Is Jesus doing this? Are you doing this? Is it me? Yeah. Yeah, it is. You are not responsible. And yet, you're totally responsible. Depending on the situation, depending on how we're telling the story. Like, is it your fault? You know, we'll figure out how for it not to be. Should you get the credit? Absolutely. Do I have to prove myself? Do I need to have a scientifically verifiable understanding of this? Helen Langer doesn't. She's got tons of detractors. She has a story that she tells about the data that she got. And we have stories about the data that we're getting. We're living this life, collecting data. What's it like to slip on pedals, to appreciate blue whales, to love Moby? (laughs) Y'all know that that was Moby on the music? God's face over the waters. Yeah, 2001. (laughs) We've organized ourselves in Circle of Hope to live into this kind of reality. Like, no, this is how it is. I don't need to present to you some undeniable sense of the gospel. Like, this is is how it is, and let me prove it to you, and I'm going to use the scripture, which you don't care about, to do it. You know? No, I'm going to invite you in. And I'm not talking to you guys. You guys care about scripture. I'm just saying the people that, like, aren't interested in the gospel at all, um, or they don't think they are. You know, I'm going to invite you into this community where you can sense and feel and get, get into the flow and start feeding 5,000 people with us. Feed 5,000 people, and then you can be a Christian. You know? That, that's kind of, that's the order. That's Jesus' order. 
He doesn't, these people aren't Christians yet. They don't even know what that means. They haven't seen Jesus rise from the dead. But they're following. They're doing what they're told. And they get transformed in the process. They get into this flow that's bigger than themselves. And that's what we invite people into. And we do it through cells. A lot of you know this. Who's in a cell in this room? Raise your hand. Oh, raise them higher. I just want to see all the, yeah. There we go. Okay, good. Most people are in a cell. That's cool. If you're not in a cell, that's, that, that's okay. We'd love to, love to have you in there. We'd love to figure it out. Maybe we have to start a cell for you to get into, you know, in some other county or something. Uh, that's possible. But the cell is the main way that we're doing this work that Jesus gives us to, um, you know, feed the sheep, to do the work that Peter was given. We're doing it in cells. That's the, that's the dinner table for the sheep, is the cell. Because we need people to experience this flow, to just be in it and not figure it all out first. Because it can't be figured out anyways. It's the mystery of the resurrection, and I don't know. It feels good to tell the story this way, and I've seen some things that are kind of undeniable, but you could certainly deny them. That's kind of the nature of reality, the nature of being two separate consciousnesses, you know? So we get into it with these cells. And if we're not responsible, and yet we, we are as responsible as we are, my, my big question is then, well, why not? Why not really do it? Why not really go for your cell? Or go for whatever opportunity you have to help someone get into that flow with Jesus? Why not? And I have some stories that are like, kind of like, whoa, how did this happen? To kind of encourage us. The, the wildest stories I could think of of what happened with cells or with evangelism. You all know about evangelism? That's, a, that, that's a, a big word that has a bunch of associations with it that you might not like. I've decided to like it. Okay? And uh, we can debate about it later. Um, but I, I want to do evangelism. I want people to know Jesus. And I see it happening often enough, especially in cells. I don't know how to do it outside of cells because I've been a cellier since I was 20 years old. And it's, my, it's like my, my chosen means. There are lots of other ways to do it. But this is the way that I've learned to, to help people know Jesus, to feed the sheep that Jesus has given me. So let me tell you a couple stories real quick. Alex Valier, one of our newest cell leaders in all of Circle of Hope, I think, um, but maybe someone is, is, is fresher than him. He came to a cell meeting in Westville, New Jersey. Remember, I'm from New Jersey. Uh, and uh, he went there because his, he was coming back like from the beach or something with his friend, and his friend was running late, but he, he really wanted to go to the cell meeting, so he just showed, like, okay, fine, I'll go with you. I'll just stay. And, and he says that he just felt something that was undeniable. He couldn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't deal with not coming back. Now he's a cellular, like less than a year later. He really wanted it. Alex Lear. Also, doesn't have it all together. He has it together probably less than a lot of you. But he's doing his best, and he, and he had an idea about people that he could feed with a cell. And then they came, they came to the meeting. People that aren't yet Christian, that wanted something from him. He did it. So who's responsible? Who did that? You know, was it, was it Jesus? Was it Alex? Yeah. Uh, here's another one. Um, I was at a meeting in a water tower, okay? In Whitman Park, in Camden, there's this big water tower, and at the bottom floor, it's like a community center 
we have, we have a lot of water towers in, in South Jersey because it's all flat. So you have, you know, to get the water pressure in your house, you have to have the water up high. That's how water towers work. And so I'm in this community center in, yeah, your, your water is up here, like on a hill, you know? That's how they do it, you know? So um, in Camden, at this meeting, because we're gonna give away 300 backpacks. My, my friend Pat, who I started a cell with, said, I'll be, I'll be your cell apprentice, but we gotta do something, all right? And we got connected to this thing called Convoy of Hope. You might have heard it, it's like a big deal. Uh, all across the country. So we, we said, yeah, we'll get, to, we'll, we'll get 300 backpacks to give to kids in Camden. And I went to these planning meetings at this water tower. Super weird place. There I met this woman named Victoria, who was part of another ministry uh, in, the, in, the, in the neighborhood. And she had these teenagers that were, that were kind of aging out of the children's ministry that she ran. They got connected when they were little kids, six, seven years old. Now they're 15, 16 years old, and they need some discipleship. And she's like, you got anything like that? You seem like a, a young person, you know? <laughs> I only seem that way. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I got cells. I, I could do a cell with them. And so I go to this meeting. It's Kids Alley is what it's called. I go to Kids Alley's meeting, and I pitch cells to about 25 teenagers. And like 24 of them give me uh, their, their telephone number. And of those 24, uh, about seven of them come to the first meeting at the pizza shop in Woodland. And of those, of those kids, they're now like 20 years old and they're my disciples. You know, they're in my cell still as adults. They're 20, 21, 22 years old. And uh, it's really weird to, to have some of my really good friends be um, young, black, and Dominican women. You know, I love it. The best, it was one of the best parts of my life. And you know, who did it? Jesus, me. Yep. Okay, I, I think about. I, I, there's no clock. What, how am I doing on time? Oh, I'm doing good. I can go a little longer. <laughs> I, have, I have I have a lot of stories. Um, let me tell you about Nancy's dog. Nancy has a dog. She lives in. Uh, oh yeah, we got to talk about South Jersey. She lives in Mount Laurel. New Jersey, and she lives in this kind of like condominium townhouse complex that has like walking paths next to a lake, and she's got her dog out for a walk, and the dog kind of pulls her a direction that the dog never wants to go, and Nancy thinks, oh no, going after this like, these like ducks or geese or something, like gonna chase them, but doesn't, just kind of observes them in a very undogly manner. <laughs> and this is like a miracle of God to Nancy. This is how she experiences this. What is going on? The peaceful kingdom is happening right now. I guess I better be a Christian. She had been going to a cell, and she had some exposure to Christianity as a, as a kid. And her cell was talking like kind of in banalities about forgiveness. This is, this is how her cell leader told to me. It just seemed like kind of normal stuff, you know. We were just trying to talk about how you might actually forgive. It didn't seem like that profound, but it was like wearing at, at Nancy, and she's like, I need this life. <laughs> I need this forgiveness life. And she had this amazing experience with God and with her dog. You know, I'm thinking about the people in her cell. Did they, did they do that? You know? Did Jesus do that? Yep. Dog did it. 
<laughs> yeah, dog too. Was it the dogs? Was it the dogs? Who's responsible? Is it the dog? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Last story that I want to tell is the most recent one. Uh, I I ended up being a uh, the assistant Bible study coordinator of this intervarsity Bible study at Rowan College of Gloucester County, RCGC, uh, which is in a town that is so nondescript I don't know which one it is. Um, it's in Gloucester County, though. This guy that I was working with, this 25-year-old guy working for InterVarsity named Trey, was kind of just following the InterVarsity script. And you guys know what InterVarsity is? Maybe have experience with InterVarsity? They're, they're, they're an evangelism group. They have like materials for how to like talk to strangers and try to present the gospel to them. Some of that stuff is uh, people have experience with and they don't like it. But I was just kind of keeping an open mind with Trey. And I went and, and did this thing with him. And the really weird thing was that people wanted to come to our really lame Bible study. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I thought it was lame. You know, it was just <laughs> reading the script. We're reading the Bible, and then he's asking these questions. And there's always way too many questions. <laughs> like, we have an hour-long Bible study, and there's like 14 questions. Well, how's anyone going to answer? You know, in your cell, it's designed to have like four questions. And you, don't, and, and you might not even get to that too often. So I have this like mentality. It's like, this is like, this is, I'm totally not used to this. And, it's, and, and thus it's lame, you know? <laughs> I think that's the criteria for lameness. And, and I, uh, and so I, I'm just, but I'm just going with it. I'm submitting to this 25 year old guy. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to figure it out. And, but the kids keep coming back. These freshmen and sophomores at RCGC, and then like two weeks before the end of the semester, this kid Josh becomes a Christian. And I was like, why in the world would you do that? <laughs> this wasn't any good. <laughs> Don't I have to like do a good job to like make Christians? You know, isn't it on me? Don't I have to like cut the ear off just so? <laughs> Apply the words of Jesus exactly? Do something more than be myself? Okay, that answer is no. But who's responsible? Trey, me, Jesus? Yep. This is how this works. And I think, and I, made, I made such a big deal about who's responsible. I'm kind of preaching to myself, but I think because I'm preaching like to some of my deepest stuff, I'm kind of probably talking to you too. We feel so responsible. I feel like we gotta figure it out, gotta cut off the ear, gotta get it right, gotta get a good reputation, gotta, you know, diagnose the problem and propose the solution correctly. And we can do our best, but we don't have to get it right. Because Jesus is alive. That's right. And he wants to do this with us, and he uses people like us. Mm. And so, you can try your best. Why not? Let me pray to that end. You can talk back. Maybe you have some stories to tell about that. Yes. Yes to resurrection. Yes to open eyes. Yes to more than I can understand. And to what I can understand. Yes to this experience with you wherever I find it wherever we find it, 
yes to giving what we've got. Be our yes. Everything is yes in you. Amen. Amen. Patrick's ready. Oh, yeah. I had a thought right, right as uh, you started this, because I, I actually read a study about um, people who are casted. You know, they break a limb and they have a cast on. So I'm a nurse for anybody who isn't aware. And um, so part of people being injured is rehab. And so they, there was a study where they told people to, you know, obviously they're in a cast, so they can't move the limb. But they said, just imagine you're exercising that limb. Imagine you're flexing those muscles. And they actually saw significant, a statistical, a statistically significant <coughs> difference in them. Uh, attrition, like they, they, they like atrophy of the muscles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If so they just thought about it. Yeah, yeah. The people that were just imagining that they were flexing those muscles had less atrophy. Yeah. And so their rehab time was a lot less, which is just really amazing. That you know. So, and then I had a couple other quick thoughts I had is, um, I, you know, this is kind of along the this whole talk is kind of reminding me of the uh, phrase people say like fake it till you make it kind of thing like. It's just like you're, you're doing the thing even if you don't believe you're the thing and, until you all of a sudden realize, oh, I am the thing. And, um, and this also kind of, the last thought I had was, this reminds me a lot of uh, Rachel Sensenig, um, something she Another pastor. Do, yeah, something she would do when um, I was in her cell a lot is she would, you know, people would have this moment where they'd do something that was really Christ-like and she would just call it and be like, wow, that's like, that was like really, like, forgiving of you or like Christian of you even the people who are like I don't believe in God and they do something that was like reconciliatory that's like not of the world like that like people of the world don't do that like people who you know reject Christ don't reconcile they don't forgive and and uh, she like name that like that and and just like be like yeah I'm just gonna say that you're this thing until you believe it you know like a, like just psychologically naming it that um, and it was just really cool to see that how it did it, it would influence people um, and I think I just you know when you were talking about the uh, study about the housekeepers it, you know I think when we can reframe the work we're doing and we're like oh this is exercise you can maybe have a belief that like oh I'm healthy and, and maybe it affects even the way you eat and the way you sleep and the way you just you know it starts to affect a lot of your entire being yeah, it's all connected. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like you're saying. Better than fake it till you make it. I like name it and claim it. <laughs> <laughs> all right? That was for Jim. Hi. Mada. Hi. So um, it's funny that you brought this up because I've read a book called The Healing Code. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's Do Dr. Andrew Benson. And he is a medical doctor. He was having problems, physical and health problems. And he decided that he was gonna turn to God and to prayer. So he tells you to pray six minutes a day to heal yourself. And I think it's an amazing book because it, um, it proves that there is a connection between your cells and your mind and how everything works out. So that's, that's a great book. I'm always giving it away. I think Judy has heard this story before. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, th I think that that, that, that that connection is, you know, the connection that I was making to that connection that we have inside yeah. of us. Yeah. It's so it's a, it's it's such a mystery that it adds to the, um, um, you know, 
it feels similar to the kind to the faith that we profess in Jesus. I think some of the processes of that mind-body connection that people are doing scientifically, you know, that's that's almost just like saying blue whales eat krill that you can see from space. You know, it's that kind of thing. I don't know if Jesus is definitely participating in that process, but just kind of try to make that distinction a little bit too, because I'm I'm still I'm still pondering. John. Yeah, I uh, I really identify with. You're surprised that the, the Joshua, I think the name was, that became a Christian, and you're like, but this is so lame. Like, how, how, how did this get through to you? And I, I feel like that all the time, where I'm like, yeah, it, it worked on me, and I have a, stories to say as to why, but I'm like, I can't imagine that just simply being Christ-like, going over Scripture, talking about Jesus, is going to change someone else. It just seems... I'm still constantly amazed when it happens, and I'm I'm surprised because I've seen it happen so many times, and yet I'm still surprised. But it's so lame. <laughs> it's not. It's not cool. It's not. Why did you come back? Like, <laughs> you know, the snacks I brought were terrible. You know, just, I, I, it was good for me to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think sometimes it's easier for me to confuse something being good and something being enough. Mm-hmm. And like that that story, I'm, I, I've been holding on to that story a lot. Like that phrase, like you give them something to eat, I, I think about it every day. Um, I've been holding on to that lately. And I, it reminds me a lot of the widow's coin. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I always think that like, you know, that moment of like, why I'm the widow, I'm putting this coin in, it is not enough. I know it's not enough. Like, we're very rational. We have a lot of knowledge. We have a lot of data. Like, they knew, and they did too. Like, they looked at the crowd, and they were like, it's not enough, and so therefore I withhold it. And so I've been really pushing myself to be like, this is not good enough. It's not not good enough. It isn't enough. And it's what I have, and, and I'm going to give it. And like, that night that we had the covenanters come over to my house, Julie and I talked about this story that night. I was like, we don't have enough. We don't have enough space. We don't have enough chairs. We don't have enough food. We have some space. We have some chairs. We have some food. Let's have the meeting. And there was totally it, enough food. And it was totally enough. Yeah. Well, I, I did go buy more food. <laughs> 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 I couldn't add more square footage to the house. But, I didn't but like it was, and I just wrestled with that a lot. Like I'm like, it's not enough, so I'm gonna just keep it. Because I'm yeah. embarrassed of it. Yeah. I'm embarrassed of it. Why would I put this out here? That's embarrassing to put out there. Obviously, it's not enough. <laughs> yeah, just to cue you in on what we're talking about, real quick. We had a covenant meeting at Aubrey's house over on Pulaski, and and people, a bunch of people came to talk about what it means to covenant with Circle of Hope, and yeah, there weren't enough chairs, you know, like people just kept coming, and we would, we had an idea about like fire escape exits, but you know, <laughs> at the end it was total hazard. Uh, let's go with Aaron and Joel. That might have to be enough. Um, so thank you for coming here, bringing stories. Uh, such like, hopefulness and positivity. It's really great to see things you know, working out um, and asking who's responsible for all this. It's really fun to hear and, and identify with a lot of them. Um, and then I, I think on the other hand, sometimes people want to know when there are failures of the individual or failures of the church, um, who's responsible? Yeah. And I don't know if it's helpful to process that right now or not, or if you have any kind of answer, I, I don't know. The devil. <laughs> <laughs> and you. 
yeah, I, I, no, I can't get, that's my flip answer. That's a great question. I think that's like the problem of evil. Um, you know, even people that, there are, there are some charlatans out there that claim to follow Jesus and then just do wicked things in his name. And they're in the Bible too. Already in the first century, they're talking about those kind of people. Um, so it's nothing new that we've got fakers that are, that are ruining Jesus. But then there's also faithful people like you and I that do terrible things because, I don't know, something happened. What do you do with that? I think Jesus gives us reconciliation as the, the way to walk, even when it's the most terrible thing. Um, I don't know if we have another way. Um, it will be incredibly difficult depending on the degree of evil that you manage to do. But um, who's responsible ultimately for making all things right? Jesus, the risen Lord, who's on his way back to set it all straight. So in the end, somehow it's going to work out. That's kind of my answer. Joel? Um, I was just, it struck me when you were telling that story that cutting off somebody's ear is probably the dumbest thing you could do with a sword. <laughs> because it's not, he completely missed. How did he not even get his shoulder? <laughs> That's true. It's sort of like this, so Peter, even in like a moment with his, with his totally himself ideas, manages to just really execute it poorly. And I just think about that, like, not only does Jesus kind of redeem our motives, but, like, he, he heals the guy's ear because he doesn't want him to die. But it's just like, I mean, I, I Jesus steps in to save him from all the people who know what to do with swords. And so I think that's, that's kind of a joke, but it's, he does that with us, too, because there are forces that are arrayed against us that are, you know, militarized and weaponized, and Jesus sends us out there and says, you know, Go and confront these evils. I'm with you, and I, I the, the power of miracle is in you. So you don't even you don't need the sword, Peter. You don't need to like defend me in the way that the world defends itself. That's right. I'm about to show you that death has no power here. So you can go and confront these things too. So I'm going to put this guy's ear back on because you have no idea how to use a sword. <laughs> but now pick up this weapon that I'm giving you of kind of the eternal life and the mission of God in the world to tell them, you know, you you likewise should put down your swords. Enough of this. Yeah. Good word, y'all. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.